All right, let us pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this amazing, awesome day. This is the first Sunday, the first day of Advent. And Jesus, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for your coming, both as we celebrate your birth, but your second coming. And Father, just as Paul talks to the Thessalonians and the Philippians about how they joyfully longed for you to return, Jesus. May that be so and true in our hearts as well. Father, for those who are discouraged, who are downtrodden, beaten up, carrying heavy burdens, Jesus, I thank you that you are the good and great shepherd. And you call us to come to you and you give us living water. So give us that living water. Father, may my words be your words, nothing else. Bring encouragement and comfort and strength and conviction, transformation and healing and salvation. Open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts and ears to see and to hear and to receive your word. And it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, welcome each and every one of you to the church at Woodbine. For those who don't know me, my name is Doug Jones, and I am the campus and teaching pastor here. For those worshiping with us online, welcome. We are glad that you've joined us today. As we've said at the beginning of the service, today is Advent, the start of the quote-unquote Christmas season. And real quick, Advent are the four Sundays before Christmas. And it is a time of celebration for Christmas, but it's also a time of, celebra- of, of preparation and even repentance. And that's why the colors of purple, not only do they symbolize royalty, but they also symbolize repentance. So when you come into the service, when you see the purple behind me, think Jesus, our King, as we sang, but also may we repent and confess our sins and approach him boldly and humbly at the same time. Here in this Advent series, the name of this series for these four Sundays is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And today we're going to look at longing for meaning. And before we dive into this passage that Lauren read us in Luke chapter 2, I want to read a couple things for you. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus is the name of this Advent series. It is also the name of a traditional Advent song that many of us sing during this time. Advent is a time of preparation for celebration. It is a time of confession and repentance. It is a time to come to terms with our humanness, our own limitations, our sin, and also our need for a Savior. It is a time to recognize that we have been created with a deep longing to belong, to be whole, to be embraced, and to be accepted a time for shalom. Today's sermon, Longing for Meaning. It focuses on two dear saints, Simeon and Anna. And these two dear saints who are very old in age, they demonstrate to us that our longings are real and they need to be leaned into. They need to be embraced and not run from but they need to be embraced and surrendered at the feet of Jesus. Simeon and Anna, they both show us that Jesus is the one who brings meaning to all of our desires and longings and that God is faithful to his promises. Question for you. What do you long for this Christmas season? What do you long for? What do you hope for? 
another question, a little bit deeper, a little bit more broad. What are some of the deepest longings that your friends have? What are the deepest longings that your friends have? A better job, more money, a better boss, reconciliation with friends, with family, maybe a return of a prodigal son to get married, to have children, to go ahead and be with Jesus in his presence. Every one of us has longings and deep desires. The challenge today is what do we do with those longings? Proverbs 13, 12, it says this, and it's a passage I've read numerous times. Hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm going to read it again. Hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire, and you can take that word desire, you can say longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Ponder that verse this week. Hope deferred. I know I've had my hope deferred. Real quick, a quick story before we dive into Luke chapter two. Years ago, and I probably have shared this, my very first month in Mexico in 1995, it was the very end of June, and I didn't know a lick of Spanish. I could say hola and adios, and that was about it. And the youth group of a church that we were kind of working with went on a camping trip into the western side of the mountain, Sierra Madre del uh, del Occidente, and they were like 13,000 feet up. And again, I knew no Spanish. And there were like 20 of us, and we went camping, and one day we decided to hike up one of the mountains. Again, I knew no Spanish. I didn't know where we were going, what we were doing, but we started hiking. And I praise the Lord I wasn't in charge. Five hours later, we got to the top, and guess how much water we took on that trip? One gallon of water for about 20 youth. I had one small sip. We got to the top, and I said, where's our campsite? In English, one of the guys that spoke both languages. He says, we got about five hours to go. And I thought I was going to die. It was extremely dangerous. And I praise Jesus that we didn't lose a soul, but we were scattered for miles going back down that, mile, mile, down that mountain because we were so longing for what? What? Water. I didn't care about any of those teenagers who I was in charge of because I thought I was going to die. And we all got home safe and sound. But I had this deep longing for water. We all have this deep longing for meaning and purpose. And it is only found in Jesus. We're dismissed. Meet the Episcopalians to the buffet. We're done. Luke chapter 2, starting here in verse 25, just to give some context. Open your Bibles, turn your smartphone back on, however you want. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Here's the context. Jesus has been born. And when you read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, you even go to Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll see the birth of Jesus. And here are the people of Israel. They're being ruled by Rome, and they're a heavy oppression. The Romans are taxing them like crazy. There are legions of soldiers stationed all throughout Israel because Israel was one of the most volatile areas in the Roman world back then. And there were these promises from these Old Testament prophets that a Messiah, a king, one of the descendants of David would return. And there had been about 400 years of silence with no known prophetic voice in all of Israel. Think about it. 400 years 
where there's no new word from the Lord. Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, lived 400 years before. How many of us struggle with God's faithfulness after a week of feeling like he doesn't answer? A month, a year, I do, after a couple hours. 400 years. Think about it. Your great-great-grandparents, no word from the Lord. Your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, no word from the Lord. Think about that. And then all of a sudden, there's a visitation of Gabriel to Zechariah, John the Baptist, the promise of him who will make the way straight. He is born. And then the miraculous conception of Jesus, Jesus is born. And we're not going to look at it, but in verse 21 to 24, Joseph and Mary come to the temple because Jesus is their firstborn. And it's required in the book of Moses, the Old Testament law, that for every firstborn son who's born, the couple, the mom and dad need to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice as the first fruits of the womb. And it says here in verse 23, I believe, they offer two turtle doves, two small pigeons, which show us that Joseph and Mary were very poor. Now, let me explain a little bit about the temple. The temple, Herod's temple. Herod, who is the king of Israel, but he was a wicked king. He wanted to kill Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was, but when he found out that Jesus, that the Messiah was born, he slaughtered the babies in Bethlehem. But in order to appease the Israelites and the Jewish people, Herod began the reconstruction of the existing temple, the second temple. And he began this elaborate construction. He made the temple huge. And let me try to explain how big it was. It was 30, the entire temple complex was 36 acres. It is 50% larger than Opry Mills Mall or Cool Springs Mall, the area, not the building itself. There are aspects of the temple that were almost 10 stories high. The largest cornerstone that they have found was 570 tons. The small stones of the temple wall, uh, 25 tons. Think of that, 570. How 2,000 years ago, How in the world did those Romans build something that large? The size of the entire temple complex, 29 football fields altogether. Think of it for us. I mean, I remember going to Chicago as a freshman in college, and I lived in West Tennessee. I should have put on overalls and put big buck teeth in and, wow, look at the buildings. I mean, the the skyscrapers in Chicago for me were huge. Think of 2,000 years ago, and walking around that temple complex and seeing walls that go 10 stories up and seeing these rocks, these stones that were chiseled out, hundreds of tons the size of it. Think of Joseph and Mary, these two country bumpkins. Mary, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me for talking bad about your mom. I mean, Mary's in heaven. We're going to see her one day. Don't want to talk bad about Mary because I don't want to get there and Jesus is like, what did you say about my mama? But think about it. Joseph and Mary, two country poor folk, and they come into Jerusalem, tens of thousands of worshipers, and they come to offer the first fruits. 
And think of the size of the temple. I mean, we live now with all of our technology. Buildings are just massive. But think how big it is. And they get in there, and they're obeying the law, and they love the Lord, and they're probably scared to death. Here's their firstborn, and they know it's God's son. And his conception was miraculous. And even the night of his birth, and all of a sudden, the shepherds show up, and they tell him, no, there was a whole chorus of angels that the Messiah is born, and then they're telling everyone around. And they come to Jerusalem just out of obedience. And what does it say? And remember, the focus today is longing for meaning. We're going to look at two saints, Simeon and Anna. They were both very old, but longing for meaning. And right here, verse 25, look at what it says here. Remember, Mary and Joseph, they're there. They're performing the sacrifices, the law commands. And then it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Say Simeon. Simeon. And look at what it says here. This is my prayer for every single one of us, men, women, both. Look at what it says. This man was righteous and devout. Can, you, can people say that about you? Righteous and devout. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. That's the coming of the Messiah when Israel will reign forever with the Messiah at the head. So he's waiting. He's longing for that. We don't know how old Simeon is, but according to tradition, he was really old. The average age and lifespan back in the first century Palestine was age 48. I've passed it almost two years. But that was the average lifespan, 48 years. Simeon, they think, was close to 100. So think of how old this man is. He's looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And I want you guys to pay attention how much it talks about Holy Spirit in these few verses here. So the Holy Spirit is on him. What do you mean? Like a backpack? The Holy Spirit was on Simeon. It had been revealed to him by Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. Okay, imagine here's Simeon for years, for decades. He's been longing to see the consolation, the consummation of Israel, longing to see. And for somehow the Holy Spirit told him that you will not die until you see the Messiah. So how did the Holy Spirit tell him? Was it an audible voice? Was it an impression in his heart and his mind? How did he perceive the Holy Spirit? See, the Holy Spirit is God himself. And in order to understand and hear the Holy Spirit's voice, we have to know his voice. In order to know his voice, we have to know his word. Now, Simeon didn't have the New Testament because it wasn't written yet, but he sure had the Old Testament. And as Simeon is spending time with the Lord day in and day out, the Holy Spirit begins to ooze out of him through the written word of God. You see, we read God's written word to encounter the living word. And even though Simeon is a prophet and he's a righteous, devout man of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is on him. The Holy Spirit is guiding him. The Holy Spirit is leading him. And see, God, the Holy Spirit, will never tell us something that's contrary to his written word. And anytime you hear someone say, well, God told me and it didn't come true. Well, no. The reality is that person was probably deceived or they heard wrong or they misunderstood or they didn't interpret it right. You see, because God never lies. He never deceives. 
And so Simeon here for years, for decades, he's been told, you will not die till you see the Messiah. And so the Holy Spirit leads him. So he comes into the temple. Now remember the temple, how big is it? It is one and a half times the size of Opry Mills Mall or Cool Springs Mall. There's tens of thousands of people there. How is he going to know? Well, who is it? Is it a baby? Is it a grown man? Is it a warrior? Is it a humble king? How am I going to know? We don't know. The scriptures don't reveal to us there, but he's being led by Holy Spirit into the temple, and there's thousands of people there. And then he sees them. That longing. Think about it here. Look what it says in verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, So then Simeon sees him. I think probably for one reason or another, Simeon knew that it was going to be a baby. So I can imagine he's there close to where the offerings are done, of two turtle doves where the offerings and sacrifices are done for the firstborn. And he sees baby Jesus. And have you ever seen a father or mother with a newborn baby? Can you imagine what Simeon was thinking and feeling inside when he sees him? That's him. And look what it says. It says here, Simeon took him up in his arms and he praised God and he said, Now, Master. And you can just see Simeon's love for the Lord. He calls him Master. How do you view our Heavenly Father? Ogre? Gene in a lamp that should do what you want. But Simeon, I can imagine, it's kind of like me coming down that mountain and finally, water now, Master. You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Think about that deep longing that Simeon had, knowing that once the Messiah comes, he'll restore all things. And it's like, and this old, old man, it's like, oh. And it says, he praises him. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation and you've prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Look at the descriptions that he talks about Jesus. He is God's salvation prepared. And we know from other passages, he was prepared before the creation of the world. God's salvation was prepared. When God, even before he created anything, he knew that he would send his son before anything was created. This is plan A. It's not plan B. And it might not make sense to us at all. Why would God allow sin and evil to happen? It's a question that can't be answered on this side of eternity. But God knows in Jesus, he's the sum of all things and it's been prepared in the presence of all peoples. You see, no one will be without excuse. No one. And God is doing it. It's his idea. And then look what Simeon says. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and he's the glory of your people, Israel. This is all praise and worship. It's amazing. Can you imagine here, there's a description of Mary and Joseph. His father and mother were amazed at what he was being said about him. Can you imagine here's Joseph and Mary and all of a sudden this old, old man, wrinkled up. And he comes, he's like, now, Master, you can, and you can release your servant. And he takes his baby, give him to me. Sometimes I feel bad. I see new moms coming here with a new little baby. Oh, can I take it? 
Last week, I took little Amelia. I took Terrell's little one because Adiella had the two others with Lord's Supper. So I took Amelia away and got behind the corner so Adiella could like celebrate Lord's Supper. And after a couple of minutes of me being outside, I was like, ooh, Adiella might be wondering, where's my baby? But Simeon takes this little baby Jesus into his arms and he begins to praise and worship. And he declares how awesome. Again, that longing, that deep longing. You see, when we read this whole passage, there's actually four initial thoughts that I have with this passage. The first one is the leading and guiding and anointing of Holy Spirit. And we see that in the life of Simeon. He was a righteous and he was a devout man. And he was led by Holy Spirit. He was guided by Holy Spirit. He was anointed by Holy Spirit. The second point is the blessed hope of the coming Messiah. And we see that right here with Simeon. He was guided and led by Holy Spirit. And then he saw us, the blessed hope of the Messiah. This is not wishful thinking. This is truth. It's God's truth. An old pastor in Mexico, he would always say, Esto es la Biblia, así es. This is the Bible and this is true. And this is God's promises. And then look what Simeon says right here in verse 33. In verse 33, he then goes on to what says, you know, Mary and Joseph are freaking out, amazed. And then in verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and he told his mother. Now, what did he, how did he bless Joseph and Mary? Was it an hour-long blessing? Was it a big conversation? Was it just some weird King James prayer? Or did he sit with them and hold their hands and talk with them and encourage them? But there's a glimpse here of what he did say. He told Mary, he says, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. And oh, we see that in the life of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and he will be a sign that will be opposed. Oh, what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. And there's some Christmas song. I think uh, Chris Rice wrote it. These tiny fingers would heal the sick. This tiny little brow prepared for thorns. And this blood that would cleanse the world of sin. Jesus says, the world hates me. Jesus also tells us the world will hate us because it first hated him. We should never be surprised if we're opposed for being believers because this world is not our home. And the deepest longings that we have is to be reunited with our Heavenly Father. And then Jesus goes on and he tells Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I'm sure Mary was like, whatever. Until she saw her son crucified 33 years later. I googled, I love looking at some things of art. And I'll, hopefully I don't struggle with some of these pictures, but Hunter and John, do y'all mind putting some of these pictures of Simeon? I looked up Simeon and Jesus, and there's some pictures. Sorry, it's a blonde Jesus. I think they're trying to reflect the glory of the Lord because Jesus, I doubt, was blonde. He probably had a lot of black, dark, curly hair. But look at the face of Simeon. And then the next one I think is my favorite one. Can you see the tears of Simeon? Can you just, I can just see it. And that tiny tuft of hair. 
of this old, old man longing to see the Messiah. And then he gets to hold him. Longing. Longing for meaning. Well, our meaning is found in Jesus. The second point of these four points for this passage is the blessed hope of the coming Messiah. But the third point is God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. And see, Numbers 23, 19, there's a verse that it's pretty powerful and it hits really hard, but it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. John 23, 19, or not John, Numbers 23, 19. Sorry, Hunter, I'm messing y'all up back there. See, God promises and he will fulfill. And he doesn't change his mind. And there's somebody who says, yeah, but this says numerous times, dozens of times it says in the Bible that God changed his mind. Uh, It's just a figure of speech. God knows exactly what he's going to do. When we get to heaven, we'll say the most common word that will be said in heaven. Ah, wow. God always fulfills his promises. Just make sure the promise you believe are his promises and not your own. And then the fourth point, we're going to see this with Anna. The second old person that we're going to see today is Anna. Now, if you think Simeon is old, Anna is what I would call an S-R-O. Say it, S-R-O. Super really old. All right, look at what it says about Anna, verse 36. There was also a prophetess. Hmm, we can do a whole sermon about that. There's also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanael, sorry, that's Spanish translation, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years. Yeah, that's a hyperbole right there or whatever. Having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Here is Anna. And Margie, this is the, your, how you spell it, A-N-N-A. Anna, you're Ann, two N's in the, in the Anna, Ann. Let's pretend she was married at age 15 and she lived with her husband for seven years and then she was a widow for 84 years. So how old is she? 106. If she got married at age 13, that would make her 104. Most women in first century Israel were about 15 years old when they got married. So think about it. A 15-year-old girl, she's a teenager, and she gets married. Oh, one of the greatest longings that most of us as humans have. So she's married, and then she lives with her husband for seven years. Now, it doesn't say she has kids. And then her husband dies. So she's only 22, 20, 22 years old. She could easily get married again. Yet she doesn't. She stays a widow for how long? For 84 years. And what's the average lifespan in Israel in the first century? 48. But Anna, and this story right here, is probably about 105 years old. I mean, 84 plus 7, that's 91. She's going to be 13, 14, 15 years old. So let's say she's 106. Now that is an SRO. Super really old. Now, it says she's a prophetess. And I Googled. I'm mad at Google. They didn't give me a whole lot of good pictures about Anna. She's a prophetess. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone, man or woman, because she's one of many women in the Bible that is a prophet. A prophet proclaims God's heart and God's will to God's people for the edification of his body. I'll say it again. Prophecy. Prophecy. 
It is proclaiming God's heart and God's will to God's people for the edification of God's body, the church. You can be a man or a woman and be a prophet. It is not necessarily proclaiming and foretelling the future, but it is proclaiming God's heart, his will, his word to God's people so that they're edified. And Anna is a prophetess. And she's here, it says right here in verse 37, it says, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God day and night with fasting and prayer. So there's our favorite word, right? Fasting. With fasting and prayer. So think about it. We have this woman who's from the time she's 20 years old, mas o menos. So she's in the prime of her life to get married again and to start a family. And yet she chooses, I'm going to live in the temple and I'm going to pray and fast and worship and pray and fast and worship. And I'm going to be a prophet. Now, this is all Holy Spirit anointing. But she gives her life wholeheartedly to the life of the Lord. I'm yours, Lord. Everything that I am, everything that I've got, I'm yours. Now, I'm pretty sure a lot of people in Israel were like, that's weird Anna right there. Stay away from her. But think of the relationship that she had with our Heavenly Father, fasting all the time, praying all the time. I'm sure you've heard the stories about men and women who pray and fast all the time. But there is power and a lifestyle of fasting that you do not have and we do not receive unless we do it. And we don't fast to get from the Lord. We don't fast to manipulate the Lord. We fast in order to discipline our mind and our heart and our body to go deep with the Lord so that our love relationship grows with him and that we grow in the spirit because without him, we are a limb cut from the tree and we will have no life. And we're commanded and we're expected to fast. So think of the relationship that this woman had with the Lord. And there she comes walking up. Does she have a cane? But she comes walking up and there she sees Simeon. I'm sure she knows Simeon. They're the two SROs of the entire temple complex. And she sees Simeon with baby Jesus in his hands and talking with Mary and Joseph. And she comes up and she herself, what does it say here? It says she herself at that very moment, she came up and she began to thank God and to speak about him to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She begins to praise, praise and worship and declare as a prophet who the Lord is. Longing. We have these two very old saints longing to see the redemption of Israel, longing to see the Messiah. Now, we don't know. Did God, did the Holy Spirit reveal to her that she had seen the Messiah before she died? It doesn't say. But I'm sure she and Simeon talked a lot about it for decades. Here's a woman completely given over to prayer and fasting, the proclamation of who God was. Do not make little of the fact that she was a prophet. So the fourth point in this whole passage is a lifestyle of worship, prayer, fasting, and prophecy. What does this mean for us? We have all these longings, and some of them are very godly. Some are just because we're humans. Some of our longings are extremely self-centered and probably sinful. 
But what do we do with our longings? On a very practical level, we need to fan the flame of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, following the footsteps of Anna through a lifestyle of prayer and fasting and worship. Very practical. You guys, most of us probably haven't even thought about this yet. But a very practical step. Most of us are going to make New Year's resolutions in about a month. And one of those will probably be, I need to start reading my Bible again. I need to get a reading plan. I need to find a reading plan. I want to encourage you to start an Advent now. We have reading plans on our website. There's numerous reading plans in many of our Bibles. You can even look it up. But just as much as we eat and drink food and water every day, we need to consume God's word because remember, this is his love letter to his people. And we read God's written word to encounter the living word who is Jesus himself. And to walk in the power of Holy Spirit, to be led by Holy Spirit, we need to know his word. And we need to consume it and read it. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have a reading plan, you can come talk with me. You can talk with Chris. You can talk with Trell, with Lauren, with Wes. And I know as believers, we all know, I know I got to read my Bible. I got to read my Bible. But if it is like eating chalk, pray that the Holy Spirit change your appetite for his word and begin to do it. And don't be a dumb North American. I've tried it for two weeks and then give it up because that is not perseverance. We live in a microwave culture that is so contrarian what God calls us to persevere. And if you've ever run a marathon, you have to persevere. The second one is this, just as a lifestyle of prayer. I want to encourage you, there's three things. Every Sunday at 1030, the worship team, we gather right here to pray. I invite all of you to join us at 1030 right here. Every Monday morning at 7 a.m. in the chapel, there's four or five of us that meet to pray. Every Monday morning, I want to invite you to join us in the chapel. It's the building right behind us. Monday morning, if you can. I know there's kids in work. The third Friday of every month is called Ichthys, and it's a time of worship and prayer in the chapel from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Corporately, I'm calling all of us to pray. As we say in Spanish, mucho oración, mucho poder. Poco oración, poco poder. I want to ask the worship team to come on up. And then the last thing is fasting. There are two amazing books all about fasting. One is Dave Clayton's. We talk a lot about it. Revival starts here. He stole all of my ideas. No, I'm just teasing. This is one of the best books I've ever read about fasting. It's easy and it's simple. Another book is by Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. It's called The 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 Transformational Power of Prayer and Fasting. There are some of us who are fasting every Monday and Friday. I want to invite you to join us Monday or Friday or both. It could be all day. It could be one of the meals. And instead of eating, take 15, 20 minutes to spend some time in worship and prayer. We don't do it to get. We do it to abide. Because the reality is this. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. The reality is this. We all have longings. We all have longings. 
And we need to identify our longings. We need to embrace our longings. And then we need to surrender them to Jesus and allow him to rule and reign over them. You see, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, it calls us to humble ourselves before the Lord because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then it says, casting all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you much more than we probably realize. And Jesus knows you and he loves you and he longs to carry your burdens. He longs to carry your longings. And he will do it. Let's pray. Let's worship. Father, thank you for this incredible day. And Lord Jesus, we are before you. Do your work as we worship you. May we humble ourselves and surrender all of our cares, all of our longings, both the good ones, the godly ones, and even the sinful ones to you, Jesus. And thank you that you are strong enough and big enough to carry our burdens and to guard our hearts. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.